Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to the second ever episode of What Most People Think. And can you can you hear that sound quality? Can you hear it? That's because uh, someone went and got a new microphone. That's right, I'm doing this on a something called a Blue Yeti. And do you know why I'm doing it? Because of the amount of... I didn't realise how many people follow me are total sound nerds. I had a lot of insulting comments about the last podcast. So just to answer a couple of those, no, I didn't record it on my phone. And no, I didn't record it in a fucking air raid shelter. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, I went out and bought another piece of kit, so I'm already a few quid down on this. But but it doesn't matter because I'm enjoying it. And and this so this podcast, if this is the first one you're listening to, this is kind of like this is politics and social issues from well, someone who's partially informed. You know, it's the friendly face of populism. Uh, I know that's sort of probably some liberals already turned off populism. Oh no, quickly throw away the laptop. But um, it's fine, all right? Just stick with it. So yeah, the first episode, it debuted in the top five global comedy podcasts and it hung around there for the best part of a week. Um, so I wanted to say thank you for everybody. I'll do some thank yous, but also do some fuck yous. Um, thank you to everybody that, that downloaded it, listened, subscribed, rated it, recommended it. It was it, it took me it took me back, actually. It, it, it blew me away how well it did. But also fuck you to the person that had already given it a one-star review within 10 minutes of it being on iTunes. I mean, I say fuck you, I sort of respect that, actually. I, I've got this one troll that's so committed that whatever I put up, they shit on it from a great height within, <laughs> within minutes. And actually, if they didn't, I'd probably worry about them. So if that troll's out there listening, I, I hope you're okay. Well, you're not okay, are you? You're mentally unwell. But just just keep marking me down for everything. Just It's like blinking to let me know you're safe. Uh, thank you also, my tour went on sale last weekend and so many of you bought tickets straight away. It was so far beyond uh, any tour I've released up till this point and, and there's a number of dates that look like we're going to have to add second dates including London, so thank you for that. And a fuck you to the people, I've done this Facebook advertising campaign and the problem when you do Facebook advertising campaigns is that you have to do it quite broad, right? So it might slip into the timeline of people that don't really like where you're coming from politically. And I've had, well, I've basically paid money to be abused for the last week. And some of them have been funny. I kind of enjoy the ones that are quite visceral and personal. And weirdly, uh, we've done some analytics on it. And the ones where people are particularly vicious about me seem to have a better click-through rate. Uh, there was one in particular I liked where somebody said, uh, yeah, you Tory fuck, with your, with your property portfolio why don't you just go and count your money? And I thought, it's really weird because in a way I sort of wish I was the person that he thought I was. But um, but yeah, keep those insults coming. Coming up on today's show, we're going to be looking at the resurgent idea of uh, another referendum because I'm not, I'm not calling it that people's vote thing. I'm not doing it. 
uh, also looking at Macron and issues around Brexit. Uh, we're talking about Twitter politicians, a new generation of politicians that seem to spend most of their time with their phone in their hand, uh, people like Tom Watson and David Lammy. Uh, we'll also be looking at, there's been this uh, spat recently between kind of like woke comics and I don't even know what to call it, like, like modern sort of stand up, like what you would just, you know, kind of like people like me, I guess, people like me. And uh, we're going to have a chat about that. Uh, in a bit of bollocks, we'll be looking at, well, women leaving things on the bottom step of the stairs. That odd thing that is quite common. It's slightly creepy Blair Witch type thing until you work out what it is. And then in uh, Real Men's Health, uh, Real Men's Corner, I haven't even given it a proper name yet. But we'll be looking at, and, and by the way, I was, I was really take, uh, surprised. I'm blown away this week. I sound like a right wanker, don't I? Everything's just taking me by surprise, blowing me away. Uh, but it, it took me by surprise. <laughs> I've just done it again. How many people responded to the real men's corner thing? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to expand that bit, and we'll be talking about men crying this week and how it's not funny to see a man cry in public. And obviously, it is a bit. And this is the problem, and this is why we need to talk about it, because obviously, I'm conflicted. Maybe you are too. So just before we crack into the show proper, just a little petty grievance here is is people that people that I've noticed this thing on train journeys. I've been having to take a lot of train journeys recently, and people that just leave all their rubbish on a train. You know, like if they've had a snack, like uh, you know, sandwiches or crisps. Oh, you probably know what a snack is, right? Uh, you know that word, but they just get up, right, and then they leave all their shit on the table. And you think, where where do you get off? Well, I mean, I know where they got off. In that case, they got off from Peterborough, right? But there, there's there's bins either side of the door that you have to go out of, but you still left your stuff there. It's fucking outrageous. I mean, I don't want to go over the top about this, but I, I do presume a lot about people like that. I think I would go... I'd say that you probably weren't brought up, right? That your parents were bad parents. Uh, I think that you're probably bad people and your relationships... If you do that, if you leave your rubbish on the table... Your relationships are destined to fail, and I think that you should probably be drafted into the army. I think you should have to do conscription. I think, and I don't care how old you are. I don't care if you're 52. I don't, you'd be a 52-year-old fucking conscript. I mean, do these people think like they, they, they've been to a restaurant that was like table service? That's the only other time in life. That's the only time in life that you can eat and leave your rubbish in front of you for someone else to pick up, is is if they're getting a, a tip. Okay. So it's unacceptable to not pick up your shit and take it with you off the train. And if you do, uh, I don't want to go over the top, but I do think you should probably be put on a watch list. Okay, so we have seen uh, with yet another amendment to Brexit, right? We've seen the resurgence of the idea of a, um, another referendum. Okay, that's I'm going to keep referring to that another referendum because the thing is it won't just be one more, will it? But look, let's set aside the old arguments, right? I'll, I'll put I'll put a scenario to you. Okay, it's the morning after another referendum. You're the prime minister. Okay, it was a choice between it was a binary choice between May's deal, whatever with whatever concession she was able to get from the EU based on <laughs> recent past, probably not. Maybe we were just able to keep like Cornish pasties. Maybe that was the concession she came back from Brussels with. Is that the EU benevolently said, okay, you can have Cornish pasties. We won't take them from you. So it's a choice between May's deal and remain, right? It's weirdly leave or remain end up being two, the two options, almost like we've been there before, right? So the, the result is, I don't know, just call it like 54% remain versus 
this is how thick I am. 46? Fucking hell. Jesus. See, this just feeds a stereotype of leave voters. Don't just because I'm shit at maths now presume that all leave voters are, are shit at maths. I know that if you are a main voter, you're now thinking, yeah, 350 million, side of a bus. But let's not go there. We did that last time. So it is a, it's a bigger margin, right? But it's on a it's on a much smaller turnout, which is likely, right? The way that the turnout, I forget what it was for the last referendum. Here he is being bad with numbers again. But in effect, a lot less people will have voted for Remain this time, even than last time, and, and, a, and a hell of a lot less than Leave. What are you going to do? I think the idea that, that Remain would just win in that situation is a little bit complacent, which would be odd, wouldn't it, for Remain to be complacent about the outcome of something. And all the language, Remain have, Remain have got the language around a, 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 another referendum so wrong, right from the start. Calling it a people's vote, immediately the question is, well, we weren't people before. Calling it a, a final say. Uh, <laughs> how can the second roll of the dice on something be the final one? And then there's been this thing where, where I heard uh, Owen Smith, right? The, um, you know, the guy that, that challenged Corbyn, the Welsh guy. I mean, he already had an example of not accepting the outcome of a democratic vote and he got his ass handed to him. But no, he still thinks that we should have another vote. And he used that phrase that they so often use, which is, uh, it's time for the uh, the British public to have a rethink. You know, just a little rethink on Brexit. Uh, and if you're taking a piss out of that accent in your mind, you try doing the Welsh accent is so hard, man. You can just, it can get Indian on you before you've even thought about it, right? He's, so use that phrase, rethink. You know, just you have a little rethink there. He sounds like uh, someone teaching geography at year 11, doesn't he? Yeah, Mr. Norcott, like showing off in front of the class. Why don't you go outside and have a little rethink about what you did there? And why not just, why not go with the whole hook? Obviously, we're in trouble, leave photos. We were naughty, so we should, we should be put on a, um, we should be put on a giant naughty step, I think. For people that still, if we had another referendum, for people that still refuse to, to, to rethink, we should be put exposed to the, the nation and we should be put on a giant naughty step and people should throw, you know, very metropolitan foodstuffs at us, kind of pan of chocolat, but we'll be throwing it back going, no, it's chocolate bread, you know. And then the war just continues. We also had uh, on the Brexit front, we had uh, Emmanuel Macron. He's, uh, <laughs> he's fucking mental. I think he's mad. Do you know what I mean? He just, every once in a while, there's just like a really short French bloke comes around and tries to just take over. This happens every once in a while. We had it with Napoleon. We had it with Sarkozy. Uh, and then and then now we've got it with Macron. He's just got appalling, appalling ratings at home. He's got the whole yellow vest thing going on. So he's decided to... He's a bit like Trump in a way. He just he just has a little... He has a little bash at Brexit, doesn't he? When, when he's feeling a bit low. It's like it's like a woman going to get her nails done. It's like a guaranteed guaranteed little boost up for him. He just has a little pop at how stupid Brexit is. And then he feels better himself. Because he sees, you know, he gets a few shares on The Guardian. He racks up one or two likes. He gets, you know, a few British people going, Oh my God, why, why can't you come and fuck up this country just like you're fucking up yours? And I do think as well, I was, I was a little reading of interest, the, uh, the US ambassador was talking about the fears over US farming. I, I'm, I'm gonna say this, I think that, I think chlorinated chicken uh, has become the bendy bananas of the Remain movement, hasn't it? Because I think it's one of those things that, it just gets quoted, but I don't really know. It turns out that the elements of that kind of farming are already uh, in, you know, in place in the EU. It's just become an easy stick. I don't know, maybe, maybe chlorinated chicken is, is nice. I don't know, might add a little bit of bite. Bit of tangy. I'll tell you one thing, right? Do you remember a while ago there was all, all those conspiracy theories about KFC 
that they said that oh you know they use they use mutant this is the classic sort of left conspiracy bollocks is uh, they use mutant chickens that can't move and they're like sort of chicken veal and 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 that's the reason that was the reason apparently that that KFC had to start calling themselves KFC instead of Kentucky Fried Chicken because the the conspiracy theory was that they weren't legally allowed to use the word chicken and you're like yeah apart from like you look at the menu and it says chicken like 26 times so I don't know if there's like some specific law that says you're allowed to lie inside a shop but not outside a shop uh, so you know Teresa's still there she's still there and you know after the latest defeat whenever that was there probably was one there's probably been one since I've been on air um, and people say is, is this the end for Theresa May and you think no obviously not She's like it's like at the end of the old Batman episodes when they used to say, "Is this the end for the Cape Crusader?" You're like, "No, she's just gonna carry on. She's got no." She's like, you know, in Terminator Two, do you remember the the liquid metal one that used to just keep running? You know what I mean? Like, and like you could you could pump action shotgun it in the face from point blank range, and it would just like like it would just reform, and then you'd see it in the rear view mirror. That is Theresa May. She is she's amazing. You like she's wrong about a lot of things, but she's sort of redefined the idea of shame for me, right? Because I think that she she doesn't have it. She doesn't have it. She doesn't feel humiliation. She's in a context where, like, her colleagues, like, everyone now agree- disagrees with her. You don't realise how unusual this is in politics. There's no collective responsibility. Everyone's mugging her off left, right and centre, but she's still there. And this is where the political class have, have sort of failed to understand the British public's relationship with Theresa May is that, yeah, she's weird, she's deluded, she's probably wrong, but she's still there. Staying sort of with politics at the moment, I just want to talk about kind of uh, two politicians that have been quite noisy recently, uh, Tom Watson and David Lammy. Um, They're... As I said in the introduction, I think that they are an example of, of Twitter politicians, aren't they? They've, they've become obsessed with, you know, getting on getting on Twitter every day and just saying, this is what I'm against today, you know? Um, like, I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing for a politician. I think probably the best ones are the ones that you don't hear as much from on Twitter. Like, you know, remember the best teachers you had weren't really the ones that were showing off or giving assemblies where they, where they sort of dressed up as Gary Glitter. I don't, I, that reference is pre-Gary Glitter coming out as a nonce, all right? Um, I didn't have a teacher that did that, but... Well, look, I had a teacher that did that, but I didn't have one that... Anyway, look, legally, I should probably redact this bit. But this is the point, isn't it? That they appeal very much as... You look at their following, they've got big followings, they appeal very much to metropolitan types because they'll just come out and say, this is bad, this is what I'm against, you know? And that's one of the problems with the liberal left is they're, they're very clear about what they oppose, but not so clear about what they support. Um, and Tom Watson, he, he loves a campaign, doesn't he? He loves a campaign. It's he, he sort of changed tack because not so long ago, he was accusing dead people of being paedophiles. He's he's slightly changed tack now. Now he's uh, now he's going after Tony the Tiger, and it's a real shift in emphasis for Tom because dead paedophiles to Tony the Tiger. It's just mad with Tom Watson because he went. He was he was a big lad, right? And then he went in and he lost weight, right? Without any help from anyone because of his own individual drive he lost weight and then he's concluded from that that process that no one else can do it through sort of individual motivation that the state has to intervene the state has, he's, he's becoming a fucking jamie oliver of politics isn't he and this culture this sort of puritan 
it's rising and rising. I do find it worrying. I like to believe in in sort of educating people, not not taking options off the table because people never learn anything, then, do they? Like if you take away one of the one of the things that Tom Watson is about is this thing of taking cartoon characters out of um, out of cereal boxes. You know, take Tony the Tiger away, and kids won't want to eat sweet stuff. Now it might be true that if you take those cartoon characters away, that that might happen to an extent. But I've got a three-year-old son. I don't want him to grow up in a world where he's so insulated, right, that he can't stare a cartoon tiger back in the face and say, you know what, Tony, not today, right? Or he can't look at the Cocoa Pop monkey. Has that got a name? Seems weird that that doesn't have a name. It must have a fucking name. Hang on, I'm going to Google this. Okay, look, I probably spent a lot longer on that than was... uh, it was probably necessary. It would seem that there's no clear answer on the name of the uh, Coco Pop Monkey. A lot of people just said his name's Coco, but I just think that they were presuming that. There was two or three people that seemed to think his name was Salvador, which seems a bit uh, sophisticated for someone who's just selling breakfast cereal. But look, the point is, I want my son to be able to um, to be able to stare that down and, and make choices. I don't want you keep taking choices out of the way. What my fear is, right? Is if you just if you take temptation out of the way all the time, it's the same with fixed odds gambling, you know, or fast food. Like people might be able to avoid it, but then that first time in their life that you know they're exposed to it. Like if you just if we carry on like we are, right? There's no fast food advertising. Those places become less and less popular. And then you know my son will hit 18. He'll be like um, a university alone for the first time. He'll go to some back street fried chicken shop, and they'll just he'll just see a thing called a bargain bucket, and he'll think, what's that? This is the point, right? On the one hand, we're saying, we always venerate the French, don't they? Well, you see, the French, they give their kids, they give their kids wine when they're four, right? And look, the French don't have any psychological problems, do they? Maybe that's why there's there's so much infidelity, you know what I mean? Give wine to a little four-year-old French kid, like, he's already got a girlfriend at at preschool, but then he's just, you know, he's a bit buzzed, and he just starts looking across the table at his cousin, who's enough times removed that he thinks it's fair game. Look, anyway, this is a weird area to go in. What I'm saying is, I just think that you need to build up your own self-control, and if you're not exposed to these things, how do you have any self-control? There was another thing this week, was uh, on TFL, right? The um, TFL was the Transport for London, but it, it does sound like like an American sketch show, doesn't it? SNL, Jeff, obviously that's what you're thinking about. There was an advert that went up for like a farm foods kind of company where the family had gone and done the weekly shop. So there was all kinds of food out there in front of them. And and, and the TFL, their advertising standards said that because there was bacon and butter in it and something else, I think it was just like like a chocolate brownie or something. They said, um, you need to edit that out. <laughs> you need to edit. We cannot we cannot have people being exposed to bacon and butter. We cannot. What, you, are you mad? Yeah, I know there's the knife crime thing going on, but we... we before we can protect our children from knives, we want to protect them from bacon sandwiches, okay? Now, fuck it, let's go all in. Let's go further, you know? I want to, I don't want my child seeing that filth, right? I want to, I want, I want a web safe feature where I can, um, where I can pixelate hamburgers, you know? So that when, if there's like a, a, a clip where someone puts a hamburger in their mouth, it'll be pixelated so it looks like, actually looks like there's a dick going in their mouth, but... And I actually found out as well this week through doing a, a podcast for Spiked Online about the sort of myths of rising sugar consumption among kids and rising childhood obesity. I mean, my theory was that maybe the really fat ones have just got so much fatter that they're skewing the average. But 
I, when I said that in the podcast, it felt like I was just <laughs> everyone else kind of changed the subject, so I felt like I'd said something mean. But but maybe that's that's it. And and it, it's one of those seductive arguments, isn't it? Banning stuff. When does banning stuff? Banning stuff only ever makes it feel we're gonna have such a shit generation of of kids in a few years time where we st- we've made them smoke less, drink less, take drugs less. The real way that they're gonna rebel against us is by eating a bowl of fucking frosties. Okay, I've just got to do that chipping in bit that people do on podcasts here. Just a reminder, if you're listening to this and you're enjoying it, please subscribe, rate and recommend. That's my phrase. Subscribe, rate and recommend. Yeah, so I'm, I'm too pleased with myself for that, but I, I thought it was it will become industry standard very soon. And yeah, I'm on tour. I'm on tour from September onwards. And it's a proper UK tour, this one. We're going to all over England and we're going to Glasgow. We're going to Aberdeen. Uh, and we're, and I know there's Scottish people who are going, oh, that's the only two other places in Edinburgh. Look, I'm doing my best, right? And then we're going to Monmouth in Wales, which I really hope is in Wales. I've just realised that. Hang on, I'm going to have to check that now. So, yeah, it turns out Monmouth <laughs> is in Wales, but it's really, it's a great bit of Wales because it's kind of like almost in England. So you can say that you've been to Wales when you haven't. Uh, I'm going to Cardiff though, the Cardiff Glee Club. Looking forward to that. I've played it a lot as a club. I'd love to see as many of you there as possible. And and this one, I shouldn't be more excited about one date more than any others, but we're going to Belfast. I had a lot of people, seven people, after I, I did uh, the blame game on, on Northern Irish BBC that said to me, they said, oh, should I do the accent? They said, Jeff, when are you going to come to Belfast and do a fucking tour show, wee man, you wee fuck? Um, because that's how, obviously, they all communicate. And and it might be that it's only that seven people that even give a shit about me, about me coming. But um, I am gonna come. Uh, if you want, if you want any details about the tour stuff, go to uh, my Twitter, go to my Facebook page, um, or go to Live Nation, or just fucking you know. I mean, like your web savvy, just Jeff Norcott tour. I'm, I'm pretty sure you'll end up there. Okay, let's crack on. What most people think. Okay, so. Talk about a, trend, a trendy type thing. There's been a couple of articles in the last few weeks about woke comedy. Now, I don't even know if everyone knows what this word woke means. It's some kind of a word that's used by woke people. But it's like, you know, what, what used to be right on. And there's been a, a couple of articles, one in The Guardian, one in The Independent, where there's this now battle where I guess young comics of that generation are kind of looking at kind of whinging white middle-aged guys like me and, and concluding that they don't like it, right? Which is fair enough. You know what I mean? I think that's kind of what what's supposed to happen but what what in particular interested me was there's uh was the article in the guardian where they were there was kind of younger comics some of them were sort of pissing on the legacy of bill hicks now personally i was never a massive bill hicks fan but they sort of used him as like well you know looking back as they always do on stuff looking back on his output like yeah that's the best thing to do isn't it with all art let's look back on it without you know context let let's let's apply everything that we know now back then that's like saying like you know like the first car was shit because it's not as good as a fucking tesla right now there's one thing here is i'm quite conscious of is that you know in comedy that it does come around that you you become the older guard without realizing it right when when the alternative scene come in the late 70s 80s and you know they overthrew the kind of dicky bow type mainstream comics of their age it probably there was a similar discussion then one thing I do have to take issue with is the way that people refer to comedy pre the alternative scene. They always, right, it's now being made out, they all come on with either racist, sexist or told mother-in-law jokes. And on the mother-in-law front, can we just say that back in that period of time, 
people's lives weren't as well-rounded as they are now, right? We all used to live in each other's pockets more. People used to live closer to each other. So it's very hard to for the modern audience to understand what a pain in the ass mother... No, because I, I get on well with my mother-in-law, he said, suddenly terrified that she would hear it. But I do. But I can also understand that back then, it was a different relationship. They didn't have as much stuff to talk about. You know, they weren't sitting on on Twitter, like, surfing the zeitgeist every minute. They were just, they were doing comedy, and they're like, right, what's going on in my life? Well, i got a wife, and uh, i got a mother-in-law that's around a lot. I think I'll talk about that. Like, So what happened was the alternative scene came through, and bit by bit, the likes of uh, Jim Davison and Bernard Manning, uh, Cannonball, and all those guys. And there's a good example, right? If it was all racist, Cannonball, <laughs> Cannonball weren't racist, were they? I mean, it would be kind of funny if there was like some sort of bootleg recording of them just just doing the white supremacy rant. But they not funny, but just surprising. And people often get it quoted at me, right? So one of the things that happens, and it happened in one of these articles about another comic, is that is that people will then, if they want to smear you as a modern comic, they'll say that you're like Jim Davidson or Bernard Manning. That's always their go-to areas, right? And I'm always like, well, yeah, I don't, I don't remember. It's because you're right wing, right? So they then presume all of your comedy must be exactly like this, which ironically shows how fucking thick they are. But my, my question is, and this is a challenge if any of my trolls are listening, is if you can find, right, one routine by Bernard Manning or Jim Davidson in which they dealt with their politics in a satirical way, then I will accept that. Because I, I don't think that they did. I don't remember like that grand slam. I don't remember Bernard Manning going on at the embassy club right and going oh yeah i tell you what right i believe in small state yeah that's right low taxes to stimulate the fucking economy eh you fucking socialist bastard did he do that i don't think he did if he did then send me the clip all right because i'd love to see it look and here's another point as well is the difference now is back then when you know when the alternative scene broke through they were able to you know you had kind of young like uh middle class graduates coming into television and they were able to just just take you know remove tv as the oxygen for that old guard of comics the difference is now is that with youtube and people people can self publicize you can't back in the late 80s if, if canon and ball would have had a podcast it would have been the biggest podcast every single week it would have they would have had their own youtube channel they would have just been like releasing like two to three minute clips of them just like hitting each other over the head and it would have been like fucking 20 million views they would have been cannon and ball would have been influencers they would have they would have they because they were popular the only difference was was the people that controlled what was seen on telly at the time were a much smaller group of people now they don't have that control i think what most people think is you know it's healthy for young comics to take aim at their older counterparts but but the idea that that there's no audience for for middle-aged blokes moaning about stuff is uh Look, if anything, I wish I had a bigger audience for this middle-aged bloke moaning about stuff, but I can't deny that there's other people doing it very well. This podcast is already long this week. This is long. See, there you go. That's fan service. People said, can you make the podcast longer, Jeff? And I didn't respond, but it's just turned out that way. So I'm going to claim that that is me. Uh, doing you a solid. You might just think, actually, Jeff, it was much better when it was short. As you've really, you've really overstretched yourself this week. Um, yeah, just keep it compact. But look, this this week's bit of bollocks is going to be a bit shorter. Uh, I just want to talk about this thing of uh, women leaving things on the bottom step of the stairs. And, and, and as ever, I am a brave, edgy, edge lord comedian where I am willing to make broad statements like that that women on the whole do stuff. You know, I'm not saying all, just saying most. I had um. 
I had I had a woman at a gig the other night. I was trying out new stuff, and she said to me, um, "I was talking about men and women." She said, "You were just generalising," and I thought, "Yeah, I am." Like, how how can you do observational comedy without generalising? It's not comedy then if you deal with the exceptions, is it? And maybe you know, maybe going back to what I was talking about before, maybe the new wave of comedy are more about the exceptions. But I'm too long in the fucking tooth to. I like stereotyping, and that's the point, isn't it? If I'm talking shit, then call me out on it. Tweet me. Just say, no, you're wrong about this. I want to know where I've got it wrong. And I, this is what I'm saying today is that, yeah, women like leaving things on the bottom step of the stairs. That is a weird thing. I remember when I first got married, my wife started doing it. And I would just sort of see, I, it took me a while to clock on to what her intention was. You know, just I would just see that there was a shampoo there. And I just think, what the fuck is, why does she left that on the bottom step? And then, like, you know, in a way, I would give myself credit as a man for having noticed that. And I would step over it and just think how sharp and what Jason Bourne level reflexes I'd exhibited to step over it. And then what happened was she started moving the um, the things like uh, further up the stairs, you know, second step, third step. And then I realised, obviously, she's trying to get it in my eye line. And then I realised, right, she wants me to, if there's any women listening, and obviously, Jeff, take it to the fucking bathroom, you idiot. But it took me a while to work it out. And... And I think that that was just a fundamental difference in the male and female psyche is that she saw like the household as a cooperative endeavour. You know, that we would just be like, I don't know, like, you know, in Return of the Jedi when the Ewoks were all like handing stuff to each other and just... And if anyone says that was a racist accent, that was an Ewok accent. And they are not a race. Well, they are, but not real one. So I can, I'm going to be racist about the Ewoks now. Those fucking lazy Ewok shits. I don't want to. I don't want my daughter dating a fucking Ewok. <laughs> if you are triggered by that, you have to remember that I am talking about a fictional race of beings in Return of the Jedi. Anyway, this one's gone in a, a weird, a weird place that I didn't expect. But yeah, and, and I sort of said to because it's just the male way of doing it. And I said to my wife, like, you know, the, the difference between us is is if I, if I had a bottle of shampoo and I wanted it to be in a different place, I would take it to that different place and put it there. And she pointed out that that thought would never occur to you, Jeff. And I pointed out that she was right. So there are just these things, aren't there, that that, that you have to get past in the early stage of, of married life together. I think that's one of the great myths about this modern generation of men is like even even mates of mine, like male friends that are kind of like brochurist kind of lefty types, is that we haven't made as much progress maybe as we could have done. I know some of my mates who do a, a little bit of housework and stuff, you know, definitely blokes blokes cook quite a lot, don't they? Because that's, that's the glory thing, isn't it? The glory. It appeals to men's egos, isn't it? You do this thing, you come out, ta-da! And everyone gives you a round of applause and thanks you. People thank you for it. Men don't do the... Um, not enough men yet do, like, the, the hard work. I don't know any men that clean toilets, okay? I don't know any men that clean toilets. And, 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 and the reason I'm, I'm saying I'm saying this isn't acceptable from men the truth is you don't want it part of being a man i think is being like independent you know like you can you can take care of yourself that's a good masculine thing i think you know and i think that it makes you vulnerable if you're with a woman that's done that for you for so long what you don't want to be is like you know like those older guys that when you know when their wife dies and within like when they're they're 80 and they've just like there's been three decades since they've done anything meaningful for themselves like and they're just you know, that's that's that generation. They're just sitting eating fucking dog food like within no time at all. My my generation, we we've evolved a bit more than that. Like, is that we won't be eating dog food. We'll probably be able to make ourselves a nice carbonara, like, 
and but the toilet will stink. Right, so we're Real Men's Corner. Um, so yeah, last time I was talking about journaling stuff. Men, you know, just if you, if counselling is a bit too much for you, then just writing stuff down. I hope I hope someone's tried it. I don't know if anyone wants to message me and tell me how that went, or whether you just felt like a prick sitting there writing your little diary entry, eh? It's <laughs> not real man stuff, is it? Writing a diary? I don't know. I think it's helpful. I think it's helpful. What I want to talk about this week is is crying. Um, now, I've got an issue with this. I just think it's always funny when a bloke cries in public. I know that's not like progressive and it's not helpful to say that, but when I see a bloke, you know, when Andy Murray, he, he's had a couple of big bluffs. Even I'm laughing now. There's nothing wrong with him crying. It's just funny to me because it's schadenfreude. Like it's the, my, maybe it's my worst fear is to cry in public. And when I see another bloke doing it, I'm just glad it's not me. But good for him. I think it probably means like he, he's emotionally intelligent to the point that he can do that. It's just helpful. He's got it out of the way. He's done. He probably like straight after that felt a lot better. Now, this is not to say that I don't cry. And I've mentioned this before. I, I just do it privately. And I think that, I think that crying is, I've realised like, I saw it as a sign of weakness, but then I started to identify, once I realised how helpful it was, like a, you know, if you're having a first date, like a tactical wank, I mean, that was just awful, isn't it? I've talked about something here about emotional expression. I brought it down to cracking one out before, <laughs> so you don't go out with a loaded gun. I, I hear myself sometimes and I'm disappointed in myself, but it's true. It's true. All right, a tactical chunder, maybe is that you just, it's something you do, it's like a purge, right? And then, and then you feel better, you know what I mean? Like you literally, if you're in a relationship, and there's no doubt that women are more at ease crying, women can cry like and still fucking do stuff. It's incredible, but it puts them at an advantage, right? Because they're, they're purging themselves more often. And, and so that they're, this is why men have, have fucking heart attacks and strokes and, so, so men have got to get to, you've got, got to get to grips with this thing. You've got to, when that feeling comes up, is to not be afraid of it. Because it's a scary feeling if, you, if you've gone a long time. I mean, I remember I cried. I mean, you cry a lot when you're... Little boys cry all the fucking time. They cry way more than girls, don't they? It's really embarrassing for them. I shouldn't say that, but it is. This is my problem, right? It's my son. Even when my son, like, we're at the soft play area, and, and he cries in public, and I'm like, dude, fucking people are watching. But I'm fighting that because he's totally right to cry. He's a little boy. I'm just an idiot, so I don't say that to him, and I console him. But that's how in, embedded this reaction is with me, and hopefully he'll be more like Andy Murray. But for the time being, I'm talking about blokes like me. I think that you just got to let that feeling come out, because it, it rattles around in your chest, and it's scary, isn't it? Because you're worried about... But that's why you need to let it out. It's like a little caged beast there in your rib cage, And you let it out, and then afterwards, literally everything feels better. You know? Like, you can... I'd, I'd argue that I can even see more colour in the world. That sounded fucking wanky, didn't it? I can see more colour in the world, everybody. Yeah, the rainbow, because I cried. Oh, my God. I just think we've got to be realistic about what men can do when it comes to crying, okay? I think that in public, there is a shame element to it. So let's introduce, like, um, let's introduce gentlemen's crying booths. I think... Just like these weird contraptions that have a little box at head height and you just walk along and, and you put your head in it so no one can see what's happening. They can see the rest of your body and then you just cry. But then you might be doing a chest convulsor as well. One of those cries. That's what's so bad about like if you've been with a woman for a while and she's never seen you cry. Like the first time is such a, 
fucking primitive sound, isn't it? You know, like they, I think, like I say, most women keep up the crying thing, you know, they, they practice, they get, they know how to do it. But with men, it's been so long that when it comes out, it's like, like it's like the Hulk transitioning, not obviously the Hulk transitioning to be nothing wrong with that. The Hulk, it's about time we had a female Hulk, right guys? So look, I suppose what, what most people think is uh, Sharon Davis would have a problem with a female Hulk though. I mean, let's not get into that Hulk. Maybe that's for another one. Should female Hulks be allowed to compete in Marvel um, sports days? That's a completely different subject. But look, I think what most people think is, certainly in my generation, is that it is hard for men to cry in public. But, you know, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't cry at all. Okay, so that's it. That's the second ever episode of What Most People Think. And thank you for listening. Subscribe, rate, recommend, uh, buy tour tickets. And I just want to... Oh, that was what I was going to do. I was going to read out some of the people that left nice reviews. Give me a second. I'm just going to get that up online. A big sad bite. I'm just coughed there because I've realised another person's left me a fucking one-star review. Pricks. Um, but these are some of the nice reviews. Thank you to... I, I, can't, well, I can't read who this was from. Someone who said... Oh, squeak, uh, burnt out hack. Uh, gave me a nice five star. Squeaky chamster. I mean, I'm thinking these are email names from like the early noughties, but it's fine. Foxus. Uh, he said he laughed. He agreed with most of all, but most of all, I was interested. Uh, that's very nice. He was interested. Oh, he did, and he also says the best debut podcast he's listened to in a while. Cheers, mate. Gareth373. Um, thank you to Gareth373. Mr. Millipede. It's kind of a creepy name, but I really appreciate the review. Dippin' Hall. And someone who just said, good. Okay, that's fine. Listen, and if you want to be read out on the next week's podcast, do leave us a review and uh, on iTunes. And, and thank you so much for listening. And obviously, if there's anyone you think you know that would enjoy this, why do I always get needy at the end of these things? Let's be more decisive. Thank you very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. If there's anyone you think would like it too, then, uh, then t- oh, I did it again, didn't I? I can't plead with you. Look, you, you know the drill. Recommend it if you fancy it. If you don't, then it doesn't fucking matter. Have a good week. What most people think.